So this evening, I want to be brief, and all God's people says amen. <laughs> I want Jonah's five-word sermon to inspire my sermons for the rest of the week. But I pray above all things that I would speak that which God desires for us to hear. There's a sense in which when we are in the church, for those of us who've been in the church for many years, that we have heard so many sermons, so many scripture that has become very familiar to us. It is very often the case that, um, you know, normality or frequency or tradition can stifle us, can keep us from discerning and hearing the word in new ways. And so this evening, I want to invite you to hear the Word of God, to really just listen to it. One of the things that I do at our church is at the end of the Scripture reading, I declare that this is the Word of the Lord, and some of you are familiar with the response. You say, thanks be to God. For we are a grateful people when we hear the Word of God preached. We are a thankful people that we have a place with which in which to hear the Word of God without any pressure from anybody. We can hear it freely, and sometimes we can take it for granted. And so this evening, I want to invite you to do something with me, to stand and to hear the Word of God with open hearts and open ears, at the end of which I will say, this is the Word of the Lord, and you will respond, thanks be to God. And we'll do that throughout the week together. Matthew chapter 18, reading from verse 1, hear now the word. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them, and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you... Do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that the angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. 
If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, this evening, I ask first and foremost that you would grant me the grace to proclaim your word. What an incredible privilege it is to stand before your people. A privilege that is very easy to take for granted, but in this very moment, I give you thanks for the calling you've placed upon my life. A privileged calling to be a sharer of the good news of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Father, I pray that indeed tonight, the word would be good news to our ears. For whatever problem the word defines as sin, whatever it points out in us, it does not do so without hope, for our hope is in the risen Jesus Christ, who when he died and was resurrected, took captive all that Satan's sin and death could do and promised and gave us that which death and Satan cannot undo. May we find great encouragement tonight from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. When uh, people ask me about my experience at Rosewood, which I talk about quite frequently with our church, especially now that we're building our own facility, I was a pastor here when we were still meeting out in the college. We had just sold the Alex Mir property for those of you who are old enough to remember that. And we had just moved in here, and, and, and I remember the excitement with this. And, and, and so now we're in a building project ourselves. Pray, pray for our church. Uh, we are building, and we're hoping to move in in May of next year. It will be the first building this church has ever owned in its history. And so it is quite a significant work of God uh, that he is doing amongst us. But when I talk about Rosewood, I talk about Pastor Nick. How could you not speak about Pastor Nick? One in a million. I mean that in the most respectful way ever. One of the things... One of the things that Pastor Nick told me, I, I remember my first, my first hospital visit. And he gave me instructions. He, he write, does he still write out his instructions? <laughs> I hope you don't record this and play it back. I, I'm being very, very kind. And he wrote out instructions what to do when you visit someone in hospital. And it had everything from where to get my parking validated, uh, how to dress, um, when I walked into the room, uh, you know, if it was a double room with two people in the same room, you know how they do that now, and sometimes four, sometimes eight. He said, you're always mindful, not only of the person you're visiting pastors to, but you're mindful of everybody there. And if you know Pastor Nick, by the time he's done a hospital visit, everybody in that room was prayed for. And so, so he would teach me. He would teach me that everything is an opportunity. But here's the one thing that Pastor Nick impressed upon me that I didn't consciously hear him say, but I knew it was true of his life, is that he deeply cared about people. Yes. 
I have not met a pastor that invests the time and the energy to let you know that you matter. Now, he didn't pay me to say any of that. (laughs) But it is relevant to the message that I will preach to you, a message this evening that is once again a challenging one, but an important one. A message that challenges us as the church to have the heart that is evident in your pastor. You see, for to be a Christian is not simply to be in right relationship with our Heavenly Father, but it is to have right relationships with one another. The truth that Matthew's gospel reveals is what is evident throughout the New Testament witness. To be a Christ follower is to live out one's faith in relationship with God, yes, but in community with others. The Christian faith, just hear me for a second, is not just about me and God, as I implied this morning, but it is me and my relationships with those who are also seeking to follow after Christ. Our faithfulness to God is most often revealed in the quality of the relationships we have with one another. When I was asked to come and preach here, I thought of many different sermons. Pastor Lisa was joking with me. She says, you know, when you do revival, you can pick the best you've preached. (laughs) And and I said to her, even when I do that, I still feel I have to rework it, you know, and figure it out. And and I I may disappoint some of you to say this, that, that I have yet to experience divine writing on the wall that says, preach Matthew 18 and then go to Revelation 3 and all of that. But it's wonderful how God's word in every season is timely. I have this newfound freedom that I can choose his word, choose whatever he's in his word, and somehow he speaks through it to us as a people. And yet, this morning, I think it was affirmed to me that this is the word for Rosewood in this season. It is a hard and challenging word for the church, but it is a a word that is so important. It can bring so much transformation, not only in individual relationships, but to the ministry and the witness of this church. Christianity is not an individual religion. Jesus says in John 13, 34, a new command, I give you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, listen to this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you do what? If you love one another. Our relationship with one another defines us as belonging to Christ. More so than any tracts and any evangelism we do, more than any profession with our mouth, what defines us as Christians is the love that we have for one another. How are we doing? If we want the world to believe in God, and if we desire for the world to see God as we have come to know him, then the very same love that Christ has for us ought to be transforming of the relationships we have with each other. Matthew chapter 6, verse 4, Jesus says, For if you give other people, forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. It seems that Jesus is also teaching us that our relationship to God is either helped or hindered by our willingness 
to be reconciled to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I enter into this text challenging you to understand that Matthew chapter 18 is a hopeful text. Very often when we hear the section on church discipline, those amongst us who like to put people straight get real excited. It sounds like the kind of message we want to hear. Tell us, pastor, how to get them. Tell us how to fix them. But as I will show and as I will preach, Matthew chapter 18 builds a wonderful picture, a compelling picture of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and offers us a meaningful way to bring about restoration within the church. You know what I find is the older I get, the harder it is to change my perspectives. I'm still a young man, but not as young as I once were. When I saw the picture on the bulletin of that young, handsome man, <laughs> I did not recognize him. But if it's not true for many of us that the older we get, the harder it is to be challenged to change perspectives. And yet, by the grace of God, the Word of God challenges us to consider that even in our mature age, or no matter how long we've walked with the Lord, that there are sometimes perspectives that need to change within us. You know, I've prayed for this community. I've prayed that there would be such an incredible grace. One of the things that I do with, with our church is, I say to my, my, my prayer group that I meet with every Sunday morning, I say, when I go to pray, and my church blesses me with the ability to travel and preach like that, I think that's generous from them. And I say to them, could you do this one thing for me? Pray that I would have tremendous capacity to love people, the very people I will preach to. Because you see, I, I believe that that's how Jesus works. You know, Jesus tells truth in the context of love. Have you ever had somebody tell you the truth, but they don't really like you? It's kind of like screaming in the face of someone, Jesus loves you, but you kind of wonder, do you love me? Well, you know why that is so incongruent, why that rubs us the wrong way? Because the Bible teaches us that even when Jesus speaks hard things to people, true things to people, he does say so for their best interest out of a heart of divine grace and mercy. I want to suggest to you this morning or this evening I can't even blame that on Calgary time. <laughs> but one of the perspectives that needs to change within the church has to do with status. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, <laughs> the question that the disciples asked Jesus is, who is the greatest in the kingdom? <laughs> this is a status question. Based upon prevailing cultural understanding of the significance of one's birth, of one's family, of one's title, of one's wealth, and therefore of one's relationship to one another. And we get the sense that when the disciples ask this question of Jesus, what they are doing is they're trying to posture themselves to jockey into positions of favor. They're trying to figure out if this kingdom breaks in, am I going to be in control of some people? Oh, I thank God that he didn't give them that authority quite then. Perhaps they are hopeful that in the new kingdom era, their status will outrank their current reality because in the Greco-Roman world, they were nobodies. 
Rome ruled. Rome had power. Perhaps the disciples were hoping, Jesus, if you come, you will give me such authority that I will just be in control of things. And Jesus responds, not with a great theological treatise. He simply brings a little child before them. He invites a little child into their presence, and he he uses the child as an object lesson, and he says, oh, you want to know what it means to have status in the kingdom of God? It begins by becoming like a little child. Now, get this. You know this. You're smart. But for those who don't know this, I'll share it nonetheless. Children had no status in the early centuries. They had no authority. They had no power. They were considered to be ultimately dependent. And when Jesus brings a child before them and says, listen, you, you want to know if you're going to be powerful in this kingdom? You want to know who's the greatest? I'm going to, to overturn your perspectives and tell you that in this kingdom, in the way of Jesus, in the way we live now as those who follow me, that those who had no status are given a place. Those who others have ignored are now said you are on equal footing. Let me put it to you this way. The church is the kind of place where whether you have lots and whether you have titles or whether you have nothing, you stand on common ground, that ground of grace by which we all are said to be children of the living God. The church is the equalizing place. For we all are but sinners saved by grace. And here, your titles don't matter that much. Your money don't matter that much. I wish I had more money. Can I get an amen? I wish, I wish I had a little bit more in my life. But I've come to realize this, that this is not the things that the Christian life is made of. And so Jesus overturns the disciples' perspectives and says, don't long for such greatness, but see in the very child what it means to be a part of the kingdom. And so, this object lesson, I don't know if it was lost on them. I hope it's not lost on you. Can you say amen? amen? He goes on to overturn another perspective by telling a story about a wandering sheep. Now, for those accountants amongst us, this is a very perplexing story. This is the story of one sheep that strays, and the shepherd does the most unfathomable thing. He goes after the one and leaves the 99. Any good accountant will say to you, let him go. Protect the 99, invest them, right, Bill? Invest in the 99. Don't, 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 don't be running after one. And here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is teaching them a principle about what it means to be a part of this kingdom, perhaps what it means to be a part of the, king, the kingdom, the church today. He's suggesting to them that, that you need to have your sense of value changed. I want you to see that, that in the kingdom one matters. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad that is true. I want you to see in the kingdom that the one sheep matters. The one person matters. That, 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 that a lonely, wandering sheep is worth Jesus going after. <laughs> Uh, I'm so glad that he did that for me. You see, I was that lone wandering sheep. I grew up in the church. Can I tell you a story about myself? Okay. I like talking about myself. Pray for me. 
I was raised in the Nazarene church. You know, I, I, I went to church more times than most of you will go in your life. You're saying to me, how is that true? You know, in, in, in South Africa growing up, there was no children's church. We had real church. And you sat there uh, for three hours every Sunday and you liked it. And then after that, after that, we, we, we would go and, and, and visit, you know, and, and, and with, a, with, a, with a megaphone, a speakerphone, my dad would call out, and we'd gather children from the community, and we'd have a wayside Sunday school. You ate as you walked. And then after that, you invited them back to the church. Your whole life was the church. I was in the church all my life, but I got to that point, you know, around 17, 18 years old, where I was smarter than everybody else. I know, I know teenagers here, you don't, you, you're not like me. Mom didn't understand me. Dad didn't understand me. The world does not get me. And so I did my own thing. Given all the privilege of growing up in the church, a pastor's kid, I have so much respect for Jeremy when I see him following after Jesus, a pastor's kid. Sometimes it's hard when you're a pastor's kid to see Jesus amidst all things. And I did my own thing for many years. And then one day... As I was leaving to go out with friends to party, I was quite the party animal, if I should say it that way. The life of the party. I know you're looking at me now and going, yeah, right, Stu. <laughs> Tell it like you think it should have been. And so I was leaving, and my mom says to me, she says, Stu, why don't you just stay and pray with us? We had family altar. You remember that? You remember this term, family altar? And there, I decided to stay and grace them with my presence, I guess. And as I stayed, my eyes caught the eyes of my mom, and there was just tears flowing from her eyes. And, and a, a, a spiritual connection really happened for me in that moment. You see, the, the, the love that I've heard being talked of at the church, uh, the grace of God, the, the shepherd that comes after the sheep, was incarnate in my mom's tears. And there in that very moment, I stood to my feet. I wasn't prepared to do this. I wasn't looking to do this. But in that moment, I confessed the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. My life was instantly transformed. And just a few months later, they would, as I shared this morning, pass in a motor vehicle accident. You see, I say to you that I'm glad there is a God who has a shepherd heart for wayward people. He's teaching his disciples to have value in people, value in one. You see, the point of the parable I think that Jesus teaches is to illustrate that in this kingdom, strays matter. <laughs> the shepherd knows that the lone sheep is not safe out on its own. The flock is left behind, not because the shepherd abandons the flock, but because the shepherd's heart is for absolutely every sheep to be in the fold. The heart of the shepherd needs to permeate the heart of the church again. Where our primary concerns are not just our security as the 99, but our heart is burdened for those whom Jesus wants to bring back. A lone sheep is a vulnerable sheep. A lone sheep is a sheep that the shepherd desires to restore and to bring back into community with one another. It is this heart 
that is overwhelmingly present in Matthew chapter 18. It is what Jesus is teaching his disciples that ultimately to be a part of the kingdom is to not seek positions of power and authority, but is to be humbly a part of things, so much so that we see the way God sees his church and his kingdom, and we have the same impulse to reach out for those who do not yet know him. The kind of preaching that gets a lot of amens are the ones who tells us how much the 99 matter. You know what's good about being an evangelist? I can say some stuff and leave. <laughs> and Pastor Lisa and Pastor Lucas, they can, they can deal with all of the outcome of that. But I found, you know, I found that that the 99 these days, they, 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 haven't, they haven't got this whole thing down. We, we've lost our way in the church sometimes. We've made this so much about us that we don't even have eyes to see beyond us. If I was to ask you a question today and I was to say, think about the one in your life, the one that is not with us tonight. Almost every single soul here will come up with at least one person you can think of at this very moment. I want to challenge you. This is not even the main point to my sermon. This is bonus free of charge. <laughs> what would it look like if we developed the heart of Christ for that one? My little boy, Luke, he's 12 years old. I'm trying to teach my children the ways of Jesus. We talk a lot about the Bible. They make fun of me all the time. They make fun of the way I preach. They mimic me. They use my phrases. Pray for my children. <laughs> and yet they're they grabbing some things of the kingdom. I, I was with my son, and, and he said to me, Dad, you know, I talked to my buddy, Kieran. We love Kieran. Kieran is one of his friends. He's, he's, he's like a part of our family. And, you know, and Luke was talking to me. He says, you know, Dad, I've been talking to Kieran about God. And, and Kieran just laughs, he says. He thinks it's funny, Dad. He says, Dad, now you tell me. You're a pastor. What should I do with that? <laughs> I, said, I said, oh, son, I said, you know what? You know, here's what I would suggest. I would suggest that you pray every day for Kieran. You know, pray. Pray for him. I said, because we tend to believe that God answers prayer. And, and when we pray to God for people who don't know him or don't believe him or haven't yet discovered him, we'll be amazed what God can do. And then I said, son, and then pray for opportunities just to be able to, to share Jesus in practical ways. And we talked about what that could mean. The very next weekend, he had invited Kieran to a youth event, and there they went. Kieran's parents eventually let him go with this strange Christian family. And they were at this retreat together, and I got a text from one of our leaders in our church, and they said, you know, after I spoke at this retreat, I was sitting down, and, and I heard this, this muttering behind me, and I, I, I turned around, and there was Luke talking. <laughs> and I thought, how the pastor's kid talking in church? He said, but I, I leaned back, and I listened, and, and here was Luke explaining to his friend Kieran what the cross meant. You know, it's not hard for me to brag on my children. They're not perfect. God makes them lovely so that we won't kill them when they're children. <laughs> but I want Luke, 
as I want for us as a community of faith, as I want for Skyview Community Church to recognize that our faith must give us this deep heart for those who do not love Christ. What can we do with those names that come to mind tonight? I think we can pray. I think we can take time to be with them. I think we can pray. You say to me, Stu, I, I really have no deep desire for that. I'm not an evangelist. Oh, you know, this command is given to all Christ followers. Not just to paid preachers and paid evangelists. It is given to those of us who confess Jesus as Lord. And so I challenge you to begin to pray that God would give you that eye for the one. There are many who once sat here. As I came back to this church and looked at the youth group, and now they are married, some of them, and they have careers and they have children, and they're so much smarter than I was uh, at their age. Amen. I also... <laughs> you know this, sometimes that amen is not appropriate. <laughs> but as I look at so many of them, I... My heart breaks for the ones I don't see. How about our heart, church? You see, restoration is at the heart of Matthew 18, and now I get to the text, and I won't be very long. And all God's people says, amen. <laughs> there was none. When we read this particular section on discipline, some of us may tend to believe that it sounds like a non-graceful way to deal with those who are wayward. The Scripture seems to imply that one has to bring the sinning person or bringing the sin to the person privately. And if the first action to restore that person and that person decides, oh, I'm not going to respond to your invitation to confess, then we ought to bring one or two other witnesses along with us to kind of give us a greater, stronger, firmer argument. And yet in line with the Old Testament, we read that the reason the people of God was instructed to bring others along with them was to protect the accused from false testimony. If this action did not work, the entire church was brought to bear as a whole to advocate that the straying, wandering sheep would be restored. The point of this restoration is not to add guilt to the straying person, but it is to reveal the heart of Jesus Christ who desires to restore such a person not only unto God, but unto community. And as a last resort, if the person refuses, the Scripture says you ought to treat that person as an outsider along with tax collectors and pagans. And even there, Matthew's witness would teach us that Jesus showed immense grace to even tax collectors and sinners. That hence, the only way to understand this restorative passage is to recognize that whatever is instructed as a means to restore person is because of the love of God for people who are lost and people who are lost in sin. Sometimes we've got this very wrong. Sometimes we've hurt more than we've restored. 
In fact, the scripture has one of the most famous scripture verses that many Christians quote to this day. It is found in verse 20, but I'll read from verse 19. Hear this. Again, truly I tell you that if two on, your earth, on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. There is a case to be made for reading scripture in context. And within Matthew chapter 8, for where two or three gather in my name, is not just a blackened statement for getting God to be present. It is defining that where two or three gather, gather in Christ's name to bring restoration to the lives of those outside of community, we are assured that God is present there. We look for the presence of God for many reasons. We desire the presence of God in our lives. But can I suggest to you, based on the scripture that where the Holy Spirit is evident in the church. It's when the church reaches out and it pursues the sheep and it brings them in because the church loves as Jesus loves. You know where the Holy Spirit is most present is when the church is a reconciling church. My dad, and I'll end with this story. I only have so many good words to preach this week. I should be more careful with how long I go. My dad was said to be a good preacher. They used to jokingly call him the Black Billy Graham. <laughs> If you're under 40, you probably don't know what that means. But <laughs> uh, Once we had revival services much like this, and he brought a friend of his from the United States, uh, Pastor Chuck Gates. And I don't even remember the content of Pastor Chuck's message, but I do remember this. At the end, he asked the community of faith to stand, and he said, if we long for renewal and revival, then we must be the kind of church where we are willing to be restored and reconciled one to another. I remember we had benches then, so you could push them back. <laughs> we pushed back the benches in the sanctuary. And then my dad stood in the middle of the congregation on the floor, and he simply said, who is God calling you to be reconciled with? And it felt like an hour, but I'm sure it wasn't that long. No one responded. There was dead silence in the room. And then one sister stood up, and she walked across the way to another sister, and they must have had something between them because that sister stood right to her feet right away, and they just embraced and wept. And that moment was catalytic in that church. Because then one by one, <laughs> the Holy Spirit allowed the grace of God to create within that church the willingness to live as those who love as Jesus loves. And men wept openly as they confessed to one another gripes and unforgiving spirits. And I saw revival happen in that community and through that community within the greater community because why? The church was willing 
to be restorative. Oh, church of God, do we love one another? I mean, not in the trivial ways, but I like, I like your cooking. <laughs> I like what you like. I, but in the hard ways that even if we don't agree, the love of God is so deep within us that we, we cannot be at peace until we are at peace. We cannot rest until the lost is brought in and reconciled to God. We should be a church whose heart is broken for those who are not here with us tonight. And so I invite you on Revival Week. We've had these before. You've had far better preachers than me. You've probably realized the preacher doesn't bring Jesus with them. He's already here. He's already speaking. He's already been ministering. You have pastors that preach week upon week upon week upon week. Our young people are getting tired of religion. What they need is to experience the power of God's Holy Spirit. Listen. Listen, the power of God's Holy Spirit does not only make us feel good. It gives us the courage to be obedient. It gives us the courage to forgive. It gives us the courage and the faith to pursue the lost. When the Holy Spirit fills the church, it does not only give me the warm and fuzzies, but it fills me with a desire to love as Jesus loves. Listen, let me ask you the question, church of God. I don't know why you came tonight. I don't know why you're here tonight. Hopefully it's because you want to hear from the Lord. Here is the word of God for us tonight. Be reconciled to me and be people who reconcile to one another so that the world would know this is the church of God. This is the people of God. This is the power of God at work within the church. So, that was a good one earlier, Jeremy. I invite you to stand this evening. We have sung and we have, I heard you sing with such joy, celebrating that God is here. But I wonder this evening, as we close this service, whether... You want to respond and say, Father, I want to have the courage to live a life of peace. Not only in relation to you, but in relation to others. Or perhaps you're saying tonight, Father, I want you to break my heart for those who are not here that needs to be here. Maybe there's a son or a daughter. Maybe there's an aunt or an uncle. Maybe there's a spouse. Maybe there's a colleague. You know, Jesus doesn't miss the one. Have you ever noticed the Messiah, the beginning and the end, he walks and he allows people to interrupt him. He notices people. There's nothing worse than being unnoticed in the church. There's nothing worse than feeling like a number. The world tells us that, but not this Jesus. He sees us. He sees us. And he says to the church, open your eyes and see one another. Who are you missing in your life? Who are you looking past in your life? Who is there present today that God has called you to notice? Who is the one that God is sending the church to? Pray today for such a person. Pray today for such a person. And ask that God would fill you and I with a deep love for them. And all God's people says, let me pray. Father God, thank you for your word. 
this evening, we commit to you our sincere desire for amongst this church gathered here today, there are those of us who are saying, Father, give me the courage to live according to your word. But some of us, Lord, We are not at peace with others. Some of us are burdened for those who the church somehow has lost along the way. I pray tonight that you would instill hope within your church. Hope that there is no person beyond your grace. No person far enough away that you as the shepherd will go and pursue and bring them back. Give us faith to believe again that God is in the saving and redeeming business. And within this great church, raise up men and women of faith, of courage, but above all things, of great love for those who don't know. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs>